Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. It's been a long time since I've shaved with a normal razor and uh, it takes a little practice. I'm sorry about that. I got to keep dabbing those. So I have to apologize for his tardiness. He couldn't find where I put his socks this morning. <laughs> Lots changed in the nearly eight years that I've been here. Oh, that was yesterday's show, Blago. <laughs> Blago. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. By the way, Pat Whalen, if I'm going to uh, just say this, was at uh, the hideout last night. Uh, good seeing Pat. And he, uh, he asked a Blago question. So clearly Pat was listening to yesterday's show. Oh, that's awesome. Tell us about the show. Uh, it went well? Everything was good? Yes. It's, I'm going to talk about it a little bit in the uh, opening. Oh, yes, so it went sorry. really well. And uh, it's really great to be back at the hideout. I can tell you that right now. I don't know how long this is going to last. No, they're pretty They're they're pretty determined to make it work. So uh, it's a beautiful night. We were outdoors on the sidewalk. Uh, they have tents. To protect it, if it were to rain, it would have protected us. But a uh, great night, wonderful night last night at the hideout. All right. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, August 4th, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and so much more. Check out Chicago Reader and ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Go check that out, and you can become a binhead. It is Wednesday, August 4th, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's the return of legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson and the return of Mark Wallace. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Rand Brand Wednesday, and here's why. As I was telling Dr. D, it was a great night last night at the hideout. Maya Dumasova and I hosted our first Tuesday show. It was a lovely night, beautiful weather, nice crowd. We'll drop the recording uh, of the conversation as soon as we get it from the hideout. Probably drop it uh, later this week. Uh, So we have a recording, unlike last month, but we have a recording this month. Uh, Judge Timothy Evans showed up. He's the chief judge of the Cook County Circuit Courts. Uh, And it was quite a conversation about police and judges and parole and crime and the rights of the accused and his attitudes regarding Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Police Chief David Brown, who have been known from time to time to use the judges as what? Whipping boys, as they used to say. And uh, Judge Evans and I even reminisce, I'll be talking about this with Monroe, about the good old days 
or not so good old days, however you look back at him, in the 1980s when he uh, was Alderman Timothy Evans of the 4th Ward and was Mayor Harold Washington's floor leader in the Chicago City Council during the epic battles of council wars, and then he later ran against Eugene Sawyer for mayor of the city of Chicago. So a little reminiscing, and uh, we're really going to enjoy, I'll really enjoy talking to Monroe Anderson about that because I asked him, Judge Evans, that is, the Monroe Anderson question, and I'll get into that later. Back to the night itself. As befits a good liberal crowd, everyone who attended was vaccinated. In fact, you had to show your vaccination card to get into the seating area. Don't tell this to Fox News. Don't tell this to MAGA. But they took away our liberty. Even Judge Evans had to show his vaccination card. Anyway, I got home from this event filled with really nice liberal people and found a fundraising appeal in my email from Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky. And its headline... The left is an anti-science mob now. I read on. Here is the opening statement. Friend, every study that has focused on natural immunity for COVID agrees that natural immunity is just as good as the vaccine. But the Biden and the radical left want to force a vaccine mandate. There is no science to support the continued wearing of masks either. But Biden and the radical left are trying to force new masks mandates. It has nothing, and nothing is in all caps, to really emphasize that point. It has nothing to do with science, and everything, and everything is in all caps to do with control. Then, of course, Rand Paul's email goes on to take a few shots at Dr. Fauci, who MAGA hates and winds up asking MAGA to send Rand Paul some money. Stand with Rand. Monroe Anderson, my next guest, may have been one of the people who sent money to Rand Paul. Just kidding, Monroe. I know you didn't. I read <laughs> I read that thing and I was like, man, man, what a bunch of BS. I mean, it's 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 phrased in such a way that it may be like a kernel of truth. Like every study that is focused on natural immunity for COVID agrees that natural immunity is just as good as the vaccine. Like some whacked out study, you know, maybe what he's calling every study that's focused on natural immunity was couched in such a way as to say natural immunity, whatever natural immunity is, by the way, is as good as a shot. Uh, So maybe there's a kernel of truth in like a, like a really disingenuous way. But of course, I can't think of any legitimate scientist anywhere, any legitimate doctor anywhere who's telling people, oh, you don't need to get the shot. No, not getting the shot is doesn't offer any more prevention than natural immunity. Now, I want to point out that Rand Paul is a doctor. He's an ophthalmologist. That's a doctor who deals with disorders of the eye. I'm sure he's really smart. But let's face it, folks, he's just winging it here. He's just making this shit up as he goes along. He's locked in a political war with liberals and Dems. And he's got this personal grudge with Fauci. Like, he needs to show Fauci he's just as smart as Fauci. A lot of people will catch the virus because Rand Paul's got to show Fauci who's the boys. 
And so I'm thinking about all those good people who showed up at the hideout last night, all those good liberals who eagerly got the shot as soon as they could and then dutifully showed their vaccine card, not only without a word of complaint about having to show the vaccine card, Monroe Anderson, but praising the hideout for making them show the vaccine. They not only showed the vaccine card, they told Timmy Tutton, who runs the hideout, and Katie Tutton, thank you for making us show the vaccine card, okay? All these nice people who came out to hear Judge Timothy Evans, who came out for a civilized discussion on crime and punishment and lawlessness and the law and whether Mayor Lori Lightfoot is playing games with the statistics to blame crime on the judges. All these people may as well be living on their little island, the hideout island. And meanwhile, out in the rest of the country, it's a different world. Now, who will get to run and the Senate and the House next year? The hideout crowd or the Rand Paul crowd? At this moment, it's tough for me to say. My guess is that the majority of voters in this country are lined up with the hideout crowd, at least when it comes to something like getting the shot. But as Monroe Anderson knows, the congressional maps are gerrymandered to give Rand's crowd the advantage. They could win the Congress even if they gain fewer overall votes, just like they won the presidency in 2016 with fewer votes. It's a bizarre way to run a democracy, but it's the only democracy we've got. This fight is far from over. We got a great show today, everybody. Monroe Anderson, I'm looking at him right now. He's rested and ready. Uh, I got the Monroe Anderson question I'm going to lead off with. And then uh, joining us in about a half an hour will be uh, Monroe's good friend, Mark Wallace, radio personality, activist, best known for his battle against red light cameras. But he's got a lot of opinions on a lot of things. And uh, he said he's ready to talk absolutely any political issue we throw at him. So we'll probably get a lot of discussion on what went down in Ohio yesterday. <laughs> My beloved Bernie. <laughs> oh, God, Monroe's so happy. <laughs> He's so happy. <laughs> My beloved Nina Turner lost. Uh, <laughs> what do you got to do? You just got to roll with the punches sometimes. Rough night for the Bernie crowd last night. But uh, we'll be discussing that. And I won't be running it for Monroe Anderson. I will not be running from the consequences of that election, okay? I know you're happy right now. Chantel Brown was victorious. Anyway, welcome back, Monroe. It's good to be back. All right, and um, I, I may not be able to talk right now because I'm, 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 I'm about to cry about what happened in Ohio. <laughs> I'm on the verge of tears. <laughs> I, I, I'm getting my birdie bros. <laughs> uh, Monroe. Bros. <laughs> Somehow or other, Monroe Anderson and I are roughly the same age have confronted the same name twice on a ballot. The name is Bernie Sanders, 2016 and 2020. And somehow or other, Monroe Anderson was able to resist the temptation to vote for Bernie Sanders. I, on the other hand, eagerly, can I vote for him twice? <laughs> and, and you did. <laughs> yes, I did. I <laughs> but let the record show, I turned right around and voted for Monroe's candidates in the general election even though I really got issues with those Clintons these days. All right, Monroe, uh, before we take the deep dive on Trump and uh, Ohio, and, uh, 
Republicans and the COVID shot and all the insanity in the world. I have to share with you a moment last night. I really wish you could have been there. I regret not uh, calling you up and just literally picking you up and taking you uh, to the hideout last night because it was a blast in the past for old timers like Monroe and myself. Let me set the stage. Yes, he is chief judge. Timothy Evans, but before he was a judge of the Cook County Circuit Courts, he was Alderman Tim Evans. He was Harold Washington's floor leader. He was the Alderman from the Fourth Ward. I know this is ancient history, people. Bear with me. He was Alderman from the Fourth Ward, which is on the south side of Chicago, Kenwood and Hyde Park, uh, and he was defeated as Alderman by a certain Tony Preckwinkle. He had a few things to say about her last night, uh, Monroe. And I, I, you know, he he may have forgiven, but he has not forgotten uh, some of the stuff, some of the antics Tony's people. People who think Tony Preckwinkle walks on water, Monroe, and just cracked me up like she's Saint Tony on oh, my lefty friend. She's so wonderful, but anyway. Um, but uh, Tim Evans, as uh, people over the age of fifty-five can tell you. Uh, there was a sharp divide in the black community after Harold Washington died between Eugene Sawyer, uh, who, for whom uh, Monroe served as press secretary, and Tim Evans, uh, who was that, now the chief judge. And that's, that divide uh, resulted, in my humble opinion, in Mayor Daley being elected in 89 special election. And then once he was in office, the powers that be in this town, and Monroe Anderson will agree with me on this, were absolutely determined to do everything they could do to make sure he stayed in office. And as a result, he was our mayor, for better or for worse, and I emphasize the worst part of that, until 2010 when he walked out of office and handed it off to Rom, who may have even been worse. So I, I think in many ways, Monroe Anderson, uh, that that split, that divide between Evans and Sawyer resulted in, oh my goodness, uh, 26 years of bad mayors for the city of Chicago. That's my humble opinion. So I asked Tim Evans, what I call the Monroe Anderson question, and that is this. Judge Evans, do you have any regrets when you look back and consider what followed 20 years of daily and eight years of ROM? Do you have any regrets for having challenged Eugene Sawyer and not having immediately supported him? And Monroe, what do you think his response was? Uh, let's see. No regrets. You hit it. No regrets. He did say. I mean, what is he supposed to say? Is I screwed it up for Black Chicago for a quarter of a century. Well, that's one answer. Yes, uh, <laughs> that wasn't coming. Uh, uh, I like him. I like Tim Evans. No, and, Tim uh, is, and I like Tim too. I like Tim Evans. And, and, and you know, the thing is, Tim. Tim was at. Um, saw your funeral and they dogged him out uh, you know they were giving the eulogies <laughs> they, they they talked about him while he was there who's the <laughs> they amazing. yeah no who is the they that did the dog uh, the, 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 the people give, giving the eulogies running the funeral you know because it was in Sawyer's ward and it was Sawyer's church <laughs> Yeah, Mayor Daly was at the funeral too. He was up there on um, by the um, podium. Did anyone dog Mayor Daly? By the way, no. 
Okay, well, that just says absolutely everything you need to know about the divisions right. of Black Chicago. They're madder at Tim Evans than they're at Daly. Right. Right. Just, let's pause to think about that for a moment, Monroe. That's insane. Right. And, and, and of course, I was at the funeral. And I was sitting on the front row next to Al Sampson. And um, Daly was uh, on, sitting on the stage, you know, on the platform. And he was looking out. And he looked at me, and I think he was trying to remember who I was. <laughs> and then when he realized who I was, he got the scowl on his face. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and I'm sure he was thinking, that's that Ben Jarosky's friend. That's <laughs> <laughs> the kiss of death with Mayor Dale. Even worse with Mayor Rahm. <laughs> No, I, uh, I mean, it's one of those things, Monroe, where you, re, you, you think about the history of what might have been and, uh, you know, had Sawyer Evans uh, emerged as the permanent successor for Harold in 89 as opposed to Daly, right. would Chicago have followed the same tactics, uh, tearing down uh, the projects, uh, accelerating the gentrification of the city of Chicago uh, by subsidizing developments in upscale, already gentrifying areas. Eventually, uh, uh, really tough, to put it mildly, police tactics in the black neighborhood, sort of encouraging black people to leave the city of Chicago. Right. Would that, would that... None of that would happen. when, when, When Harold was mayor... I had a conversation with Bill Ware, who was his chief of staff at the time. And Bill told me that no black mayor could touch the projects. They just, it would be political suicide for them to tear down or touch the projects. And Daly got in and uh, Cabrini Green is gone for all practical purposes. Um, Robert Taylor Holmes is gone, gone, gone. Um, Ida B. Wells is gone, and everybody's in the in there. Not everybody, but a great deal of the black community, poor black community, is now in the black suburbs instead of at the city of Chicago. Um, yeah, or in the state of Indiana. Right. And the other thing, and I've made this point more than once in more than one place, is that had Sawyer stayed in office. And then after a couple of terms, um, Evans became mayor. What it, it would have done for Chicago, what the succession of black mayors did for Atlanta, there'd be a lot more rich black, black, black Chicagoans, and all those things you just named never would have happened in, in that fashion. Well, there definitely would have been a uh, a lot more, uh, I don't know, rich, but well-to-do uh, black Chicagoans because well, I remember when Harold took office, one of the first things he did was start giving out the bond money that lawyers right. get uh, right. to represent. The, and I remember a lawyer telling me, <laughs> I can't remember the dude's name, but I remember him telling me, go, he would be like, Ben, this is not that difficult law. I'm just saying, this is like... Not complicated law doing bond practice, you know. Right. I'm saying it's just like, but it's lucrative. Right. You start representing those bond house bond deals, borrowing huge amounts of money, get a little slice of it. Right. And uh, he goes, "This is not hard law." I'm telling you, it's like, 
So yeah, they could have doled the, it out. The, um, the late Michael Scott, we, we had lunch one time and his explanation of what went down was with, with black Chicago is that Harold got elected and for the first three and a half years of his term, you had the 29 stifling him every which way they could. And then he, he finally, he won a second term and he died um, yeah. early, early in the, the uh, second term. Mm-hmm. And so black Chicago has never real, fully realized what being in power meant. Yeah. Uh, and so all these black millionaires that would have been made le- uh, legitimately just through getting city business or what have you, not any under the table bills, um, they never got into place. Um, black Chicago overall never got to realize the advantage of having one of their own in the office. Yeah. And so we got dailyed. <laughs> Daily and, and right. And by the way, so I had this conversation uh, with uh, Tim Evans, and uh, we will be uh, uh, dropping it on the show and the podcast in a little while. And I'm Monroe, I urge you to listen to it, particularly at the end, because when I asked the Monroe Anderson question, which I call the Monroe Anderson question, uh, and you will find, I think you'll find his response very interesting. But anyway, we, uh, we had this conversation, and I, I looked out at the audience. And there were a lot of young people at the audience. In the old days, when we do the hideout shows, it would be older people, my generation. Uh, But for whatever reason now, with the pandemic, it's like a younger crowd. God bless them. Monroe, they're looking at me like I'm talking about the Civil War. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) and I realize, man, I am so old. Like, things that matter to me and that are part of my just worldview and shaped who I am, Monroe, it's like, Right. Now, now we have a black woman lesbian as mayor. So that's how much the city's changed over that time period. Yeah. Who I would argue. So they're going, what's the big deal? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I know. And it's so, and, and in many ways, just think about this. Lori Lightfoot was, is a corporate lawyer. So she represents the very sort of constituency that would have really benefited a lot from Harold Washington uh, or Gene Sawyer being mayor. But she's younger. I believe she didn't move to Chicago until she was in law school at the University of Chicago in the 80s. So it may have been during uh, Washington's era or Sawyer's era. I cannot recall. Yeah. Uh, and then she found her way. Give her credit. She worked her way to the top of corporate Chicago as a lawyer. Uh, but she is a corporate lawyer. She does not. Her rise to power, Monroe, is drastically different than what Harold Washington and Tim Evans. Tim right. talked about this, about what he had to do coming up through the ranks of the Democratic Party as a precinct captain and an alderman, et cetera. He, 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 yeah, he was one of the silent six at one point. Well, not, I mean, his, his predecessor, Claude Holman was, but he was, he was not allowed six. Let's put it that way. Right. Uh, but, but you get my point. Yes. He did not rock the boat. We talked a lot about that as well. Uh, in the, uh, you're absolutely correct. In the sub until Harold became, well, he didn't rock the boat under Harold either. He was Harold's floor leader. So he was not a rock the boat type. And, and you do just interesting little tidbit for you. 
Sawyer was the first of the mayor, the alderman, to go with Harold. Everybody else was sort of either hanging back or going with with Burn. Uh, Sawyer was the first to break. Was he? All right, I'll, 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 I'll give you that. I have a new memory of it. One of his bragging points. <laughs> I remember, man. I was. <laughs> we're really indulging ourselves here, but I don't care. I remember John Stroger. All right, ladies and gentlemen, John Stroger was the all-powerful committeeman of the Eighth Ward Democratic Committeeman, and uh, he was. Uh, I believe at the time on the county board, I don't believe he was president of the county board. Anyway, he endorsed daily in that 1983 Harold Washington, Jane Byrne, uh, daily extravaganza. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, his ward, <laughs> daily. I remember going to a, a meeting at his uh, cottage, uh, what was it, uh, where was that office? I think it was Cottage Grove, his uh, ward office, and he was firing up his precinct captains. We got to go up. I know that people are for Washington, but we, our word is good, and we were daily. I felt so bad for these precinct captains going out to the Black Eighth Ward going, yeah, vote for daily. Right. Right. He got swamped, man, but he, he, he you got to give Stroger credit, Monroe. He just... As soon as Harold won, he flipped, and he was the biggest oh, Harold guy. Right, most did. Yeah, yeah, they were they were hanging back for the power, but yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah, that's you don't uh, you don't do better until you know better. Uh, yeah. By the way, uh, so speaking of uh, Lori Lightfoot, we got a lot. Of, uh, I got to ask you this: you mentioned her, so uh, your thoughts on uh, what we call uh, Lollapalooza Lightfoot. Uh, Lori Lightfoot, uh, today's paper, she was, <laughs> she was absolutely confident that it was not a super spreader event, Lollapalooza this weekend, and that, uh, I don't know if you saw this, Monroe, that she's very confident that 90%, as she says, of the people who went to that concert uh, were vaccinated, and the reason she said it was that she claims her uh, health commissioner, Allison Arwadi, Dr. Allison Arwadi, yeah. uh, went undercover, undercover, Monroe. I'm not making this up. Your mayor said this undercover to this event, and they wouldn't let her in without her car. Do you believe any of that, Monroe Anderson? Go. Uh, possibility because if you don't watch those periodical press conferences that, that, that she holds on COVID, then you wouldn't know who Dr. Atwadi was. And, and, um, and for the people out there on, on the gates, they were young black people. And my guess is 99% of them weren't watching those press conferences. <laughs> <laughs> so they wouldn't know. She, she, she could have told them her name. They still would have said, well, show me, show me that you, you, you have a vaccination. <laughs> yeah, that's a valid point. Anything's possible. I'm just glad uh, Lollapalooza is over. I thought it was a dumb idea to have it, but whatever. <laughs> uh, it is over. It's past, and let's hope. And, and it's too soon to know whether it's a super spreader or not. Yes. We have about another week. We'll know in a week or so. All right, so this is a good point to transition to uh, what I was talking about at the start of the show. Uh, Rand Paul and the Republican Party doubling down uh, on their intransigence regarding the shot. And Rand Paul, of course, the senator uh, from Kentucky, uh, who is very proud of the fact that he's had a number of uh, high-profile confrontations with Dr. Fauci. 
but she promotes Monroe as a fundraising tool. Yes. And I get the fundraising letter, so I know them all very well. And DeSantis brags about um, not allowing um, Florida to become uh, falturized or something like that. (laughs) So how long can the Republican Party continue in this direction before they make some kind of pivot? Or are they just going to take this word? They're going to be making a pivot probably within two or three weeks because these deaths are going out. We're getting another wave. And this wave is with the the unvaccinated. We now have two Americas, vaccinated America and unvaccinated America. And unvaccinated America is getting sick going to the hospital and on MSNBC this morning, they were interviewing this woman from, I think it was Arkansas. I can't remember. It was either Arkansas or Florida. But her brother, she was a young woman, probably in her mid-30s. Her brother had um, underlying conditions, which had nothing to do with COVID. But he had an attack. An ambulance came and picked him up, and they couldn't find a hospital to take him to because they're all filled with COVID patients. And, and he did not have COVID, but he, he, he was about to die. She thought they, they thought, but it took 12 hours for the ambulance to, to find a hospital that could take him, that had a bed so they could take him. And so, you know, you, it's, it's one thing to lie about whether Trump won or not. But, it's, but with people dying, getting sick, going to the hospital and dying, mm-hmm. reality is going to set in among much of that crowd. Not all of them. Some are just so crazy. I mean, they are literally, they're stupid and crazy. And so if, if, if their Lord Jesus Christ showed up tomorrow and said, get the vaccination, they go, what happened to you, man? You used to be so righteous. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. You got that right. No, you're right about the two Americas, and that's the point. That's the thought I had, uh, having come from the hideout, as I said at the start of the show, where everybody was just dutifully uh, and proudly and happily showing their vaccine, vaccination cards and yeah. saying, proclaiming this is how you should do it in a civilized society. And then, you know, I come home and I see Fauci's email uh, solicitation, raising money off of his defiance right. and his declaration that... Right. Uh, the vaccine does not give you any more protection than natural immunity, which I don't even—I don't even know what natural immunity. Natural. Uh, this, is like, this is how natural immunity works. Um, there's a a virus, for example, mm-hmm. and it kills so many people that there's no one left to spread it. Either those those that have have lived there. Their, their um, immune systems have built up resistance. And so, and, and the ones that who, whose immune system didn't work for them, they died. And so it gets to a point where there's no place for the virus to go. But, you know, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's not a good way 
Dude. No, it's not a good way because first of all, there's people who die. Second of all, there's the wear and tear on our healthcare system of right. taking care of people who are sick. Right. Uh, and then there's no guarantee that if you had it once, you won't get it again. So like what they call natural immunity. Uh, but I think when you just say natural immunity, it fosters in people's minds this notion that there are some people who just won't get it. And I think yeah. that is an idea that is fa- that is just fashioned under people's brains from the get-go. Oh, this is so, just for old people. Yeah, no, no, no. This is what has happened. Russia and China have had people using Facebook and other social media to um, give false narrative, mm. to, to say these things that you've just said that they, they yeah. believe. And, um, you know, because it's to their advantage, we're global competitors. It's to their advantage, A, to keep us split into two camps, but secondly, to weaken America in every which way they can. And so they have people on Facebook in disguise putting out all these false narratives about how one of the narratives is that – if you get the vaccination and you're a woman, you won't be able to have children. You become infertile. Yeah, you know. So and, and so they're afraid of that. Um, th- there was a um, at, at a- Asol Hutchinson, the governor of Arkansas. Arkansas yeah, yeah. He had a, a, a town hall meeting yesterday, and he got jeered. We were telling him they should get the vaccination, and. Um, they were they were saying that he was lying and that it would that they were going to do the vaccination because of all these horrible things. Again, they they heard through Facebook and other social media, Instagram, that would happen if they got the vaccination. All right, uh, I got a t- just got a text from Mark Wallace. He's uh, dutifully waiting for his invitation. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. Uh, and we're going to send out invitations, new invitation to Monroe and uh, invitation to Mark Wallace. Uh, when we return, we'll broaden the discussion. Mark Wallace will join us, good friend of Monroe, radio host. Uh, and we'll be talking red light cameras, economic development in Chicago. And yes, we're going to get to Ohio. Monroe's going to take a victory lap. I'm going to lick my wounds and we'll see where Mark Wallace, we'll see if he ducks and dodges this one, Monroe. We'll see how he hit. No, what's Mark, Mark, Mark is not a dodger. No, he's not a dodger. He tells it <laughs> like it is for how he sees it. Right. So we'll be right back with Monroe and Mark. By the way, Dennis, we are going to have to take the deep dive on, oh, what a week it was this Friday, about uh, Dr. Allison Awardy uh, allegedly going undercover uh, at Lollapalooza. Uh, don't, <laughs> that just cracks me up. Maybe Lori Lightfoot was with her. All right. Uh, Monroe is back. Uh, the great Mark Wallace uh, has joined us. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And uh, Mark Wallace is a radio host. Uh, he was at VON. He may be going to uh, a certain station that I recall vaguely from the past. We'll see how that works out. <laughs> hope, you, hope you have better luck than I did, uh, Mark Wallace. But I wish you the, the best. The truth is out there. And he's a dear friend of Monroe Anderson's. All right, Mark. 
So Monroe and I uh, have already covered some national politics, and we actually took a, a, a walk, a stroll down memory lane with a conversation about uh, uh, Tim Evans and Gene Sawyer. We'll hold back and get your thoughts on that one. Uh, I, th- I think you may be old enough to remember that fight uh, in 89. And uh, the reason oh, I right. brought it up is that Tim Evans was a guest uh, last night at a show we do at the Hideout Bar. And we were talking about criminal justice matters, but we also did a little reminiscing. Um, so we'll get into that, and we're going to get into Ohio. We're going to talk about what went down in Ohio yesterday. Uh, it's sort of like uh, Bernie Sanders versus the mainstream of the Democratic Party again. Uh, my candidate uh, lost Mark Wallace. Monroe Anderson's candidate won. He's been trash talking me about it ever since. Uh, so we may get well, into I that. I guess my candidate lost as well. Well, <laughs> Monroe, you weren't kidding. I said, well, let's see if Mark Wallace ducks and dodges on the Nina Turner. <laughs> he comes right out. So it's two to one, Monroe. Uh, let's do, let's recount the vote. How about that? That's all right. And I, I can tie one hand behind my back and take on the both of you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But, Mark, why don't you give us an update uh, before we get into these uh, national political uh, stories about uh, red light cameras in the city of Chicago. And it's an issue that you're very well known for. Uh, I would call it a crusade that you went on, and it was a very important one. Uh, Man, as far as I could tell, the city was squeezing uh, poor people and uh, low-income people and just, you know, middle-class people in general because they were – too afraid to raise taxes on the wealthy uh, and they were doing it through red light cameras. That's my interpretation uh, and love to get your uh, interpretation on it and the update on the red light camera saga in the city of Chicago. Take it away, Mark Wallace. Yeah. Well, you know, the city, uh, they were squeezing poor people and people who can least afford it back then. And Lori Lightfoot has just doubled down on it uh, with what uh, completely reversing one of our campaign promises that she would not use red light cameras or speed cameras uh, to balance the, uh, the budget. Uh, and she did a complete reversal on that, uh, where they have now, since March 1st, instituted this $35 ticket for any person driving six miles over the speed limit any time that the cameras are operating in park zones or school safety zones. Um, <clears throat> We have a current lawsuit against uh, Crestwood, Illinois, against them because they were uh, or are giving red light camera tickets out at an, um, a right turn that actually does not have a turn signal, technically. Uh, and so they generated almost, um, I think it was to the tune of one point six million dollars at one right turn Um, and that number has probably ballooned to um, I don't know 10 million by now Uh, so in a 16 month period they they had uh, generated more than three and a half million dollars at that right turn Uh, and most people who got tickets there got multiple tickets because there were people who generally lives in that area who traveled that direction at least twice a day. Uh, So we have a lawsuit pending against Crestwood, Illinois, uh, and we're now reinvestigating um, a a potential lawsuit for the city of Chicago on the speed cameras because we found that, um, and although they said that another uh, reporter found it, but 
you know, we gave it to that reporter that the city, they made a mistake in posting a sign saying that the cameras were operable between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. or 6 a.m. and 9.30. So we are saying that every ticket that they uh, violated somebody from beyond that time uh, should be refunded because it's actually supposed to be 6 a.m. and 9 (laughs) p.m. But the city, uh, being the brilliant people that they are, posted a sign that said 6 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. And we caught it. Uh, so that's that's one uh, uh, area that we're investigating. And there are some other areas that we're investigating where the city has, is screwing up once again on that whole process that I'm not at liberty to talk about the details of it. But uh, we are looking at that. So we're still pushing um, in the in the uh, courts because that's our last line of defense. Um, but even that is hard because. Um, depending on who you go before, uh, that judge could have been appointed by, you know, somebody like uh, Ed Burke or Michael Madigan. And so they are, you know, uh, posturing as the vanguards uh, for uh, for some of these municipalities. Uh, by the way, I just get a kick out of the fact that you nailed them on that technicality of where they put a.m. instead of p.m. <clears throat> I'm going to just uh, tell you that uh, from many years of writing articles or columns about uh, uh, getting uh, battles to keep people off the um, the ballot with signatures and the cumbersome and complicated signature law. Whenever the regulars, uh, the regular Democrats, the Madigan Democrats, if you will, uh, make a mistake, it's just a an oversight. It's a technicality. Come on, let it go, Mark Wallace. Stop yeah. being so belligerent. Right. But if just some Joe off the street makes a mistake, this is an egregious violation of our sacred laws that govern our democracy. And how could you how could you expect voters to elect you to this office if you don't even know the details of election law? So you're going to face that one. You're going to hear some lawyers in court if you take it to court. Say, oh, come on, Mark Wallace. Well, you know, that's what they have argued. They tried to argue that in the last case that we actually won, uh, where uh, after we got the actual certification, they came out with a press conference and said, oh, you know, we did make a mistake. So we're going to give everybody a second chance uh, to go to court. But that's not the way the law is written. All right. Now, Mark Wallace, let me ask you this question. So I'm going to pretend I'm uh, working for Lori Lightfoot here. What do you care? City needs money. And this is a good way to get some money. It's a fast way. Squeeze a few people. Uh, And also it protects, uh, it protects pedestrians. So if you can't speak. Particularly the children. Yes. Thank you, Monroe. (laughs) You could tell Monroe you used to work for a mayor, particularly the children. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So why are you causing all this trouble, Mark Wallace? Well, I will say to Lori Lightfoot's advocate uh, uh, or a uh, Monroe-like uh, uh, type that says, uh, you know what? We haven't had a child struck by a car around a park or a school in 45 years. So but it could happen tomorrow. <laughs> it could happen tomorrow, but it hasn't happened in 45 years. So let's put up 167 cameras uh, around these fake park zones and, and, and school safety zones where there are no crosswalks uh, for people across the street so we can make sure we protect the children uh, from cars that are going a mile over the speed limit. 
Uh, So what I would say is this. Number one, the majority of the revenue that is generated through photo enforcement uh, of red light cameras and speed cameras don't go to the city anyway. It goes to private interests. So the city gets, you know, a much smaller piece of the pie uh, of of those those um, those cameras. Uh, but the politicians get very healthy. Well, donations. Yes, right? exactly. So you have you have um, Nikki Zolar, who I'm not sure how she went from, um, you know, public education to being a CEO of a a sophisticated red light camera company um, as quickly as she did out in the suburbs. She's got like 45 contracts uh, out in the suburbs where um, I looked at her uh, DD2s from the last election. I couldn't find a single Democratic representative from the state or the county or the city that she did not write a check to. I mean, her DD2s are about three inches thick uh, of checks that she has written to just about every Democratic representative uh, from the city to the state uh, on red light cameras. So they allow for them to rake in all of this money so that they can you know, make uh, significant uh, contributions. So, the, the, but the real uh, truth is, is that this is nothing more than putting up toll roads in the city uh, in order to pad the pockets of po- private interests so that they can give political donations um, and, and have a, just a slush fund of a lucrative business. It provides no safety me- uh, mechanism. Uh, the scientific studies from Wayne State University, Texas A&M University, and now even Harvard mm-hmm. has demonstrated that these cameras do not provide the types of safety that they are portrayed to provide. What they do provide is a lot of cash. Well, all right. Now, go ahead, Monroe. Mark, you fail to point out that uh, they have a much greater impact on poor people than they do fat cats like you. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, absolutely. And, and, and the reason, and the reason why, and the reason why, does this, does, is he working for the Republicans now? He comes on this show. He plays the role, Mark. He is Mr. Center on this show. Monroe, you got to give me a break. When he came on your show, he was Mr. Lefty. But when he comes on this show, he's Mr. Center of the Road. Let me just tell you that one. Yeah, I'm not sure about those labels. But but here, um, and the reason that it does impact poor people Mm -hmm. harder is because a guy who has a job making $80,000, $90,000, $100,000 a year or more has got three or $4,000 sitting in his his checking account. And so he gets a ticket. In the mail, okay, he doesn't like it. It's like a mosquito bite or it's like, you know, a little headache, right? If a poor person who's making $15 an hour or less gets a $100 ticket, well, they don't know how they're going to pay it. So the $100 ticket becomes a $200 ticket. So $100 tickets are $200 tickets for poor people, while a $100 ticket for a person who has the, the wherewithal to pay for it 
is like a mosquito bite. Yeah. No, it's an exceedingly regressive tax. And by that, I mean it, first of all, just on the uh, on the surface, it's not, it does not do, distinguish in any way between uh, a person's one person and another person's income. So an income tax, which is graduated, which has different rates, but depending on how much money you make, is a more progressive or fair tax. The city, uh, excuse me, the state of Illinois and its infant wisdom, Mark Wallace, voted down the fair tax. And I would like to point out that almost every single Democratic politician in this state was missing an action in that particular fight. They didn't want to go anywhere near that because... Uh, the, the powers that be that fund the Republican Party had done a very effective job, and Roe and I talked about this a lot, of labeling it as like a Springfield tax, a Michael Madigan tax, a corrupt Democratic Party tax. And so instead of fighting for a fair tax that would make alleviated the need, if there is such a need, for red light cameras or uh, speed cameras, they were missing in action. The measure lost, and now, if you're Lori Lightfoot, you view it as money coming in, and and she needs this money to balance her budget. Right. So whatever she said when she was running for office as mayor, Mark Wallace, open window, throw it out because it's no longer applicable. That's how I see it. What's your thoughts? Well, well, the, the, the let's let's um, all things being equal, let's say that's true. Then today. It's not true because they're all flushed with federal subsidies of billions of dollars. So they don't need this. When she came out to say, well, we need the money because we're $200 million uh, in the hole. Well, they're a billion plus as a surplus and they don't know what to do. They don't even have a clue as to what to do uh, to solve problems. So they have the money now. What is the need of continuously squeezing people who are already at risk. I even said to the mayor or people that we are in the middle of a pandemic and the people who are most vulnerable to this new tax of six miles over uh, over the speed limit, a $35 ticket, are essential workers because they can't work from at home. They have to go to work. So the luxury corporate people can work from at home. They don't have to drive anyway. But the person who works at McDonald's, person who works at the hospital, who cleans our, you know, hallways, they have to go to work. So these are the people who are getting hit the hardest. I have a person who contacted me that has gotten eight of those tickets before they knew they had the first one. So it's not a $35 ticket. It's multiple $35 tickets. Uh, so when you review the evidence, uh, Mark Wallace, do you think it's a matter of the city desperately needing uh, the revenue from the red light cameras, the speeding cameras, or how do I put this uh, uh, euphemistically, <laughs> Monroe's smiling, or is it a matter of relationships having been developed between the powers that be that run a city and the folks who run these companies, uh, and so... That's the deal going down. If you follow what I'm business this deal. is pure. Yes. This is pure payola, pure payola. If the city did not have red light cameras or speed cameras or the revenue from it, the city would be in no worse shape than it is in currently or it was in before. Um, 
it, 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 it is purely payola. There is no benefit that we as a public get from having, um, you know, these cameras. It, it is like a placebo. Uh, it makes people, you know, get on one side of the debate, right? Because you're going to have, you can say, well, we need to have uh, scarecrows in the middle of the, the, the school parks because it makes kids, you know, feel safer. Well, you're going to have some idiots who are going to say, oh, okay, well, we need to have that. And then you're going to have other people who say, well, why do we need to have a scarecrow? So, uh, so you're going to always have that, whether it's right or it's wrong. But this is purely about padding the pockets of private interests. Some person came to Mayor Daley, you know, back in 2001 or 2002 when he went and traveled somewhere and say, hey, come to this convention. They've got a new gadget where you can generate a lot of money, but you can couch it as a safety measure. That's exactly what happened here. And they are, they are right. so our Chicago Department of Transportation which is supposed to be about, you know, infrastructure and, and providing public safety and safer streets is nothing more than a profit center. That's all it is. When I was writing a column for the Sun-Times uh, back in the early um, 2006, 2007, I wrote a column about how uh, Daly was, was making Chicago like London with all the cameras, because at yes. that time London was the most um, had more cameras on its streets than any place else in the right. world. And um, and another example I cited was the street vacuum cleaners, because they were doing that in Paris with, with the flowers. And so you look up one day, and they're vacuum cleaners that you ride, but they sweep up the sidewalks. Uh, with these vacuum cleaners, and that's something. Daily would go someplace and go. Whoa. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, that's what you know. At one time, I said that I said somebody needs to stop Daily from going on vacation because every time he goes somewhere, he comes back with some cockamaming idea that we have to pay thousands of dollars for, like fencing in your property, right? Uh, businesses have to put up these wrought iron fence. Well, yeah, you know, I wrote a column about that, about all the fences that were going up all over the city. And then I was putting fences under the viaducts to keep the homeless from sleeping there. You know, but, but he had this one guy who, uh, strangely enough, I can't remember his name, but he was a big um, contributor, campaign contributor to Daily, who had the contract for the fences. Right. Now we had fences here, fences there, fences everywhere. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so this, this, that's what it, what it is. This is not about governing. We, I don't know when the last time we had somebody in office. That, well, I, yes, I do. Like thirty some odd years ago, his name was Harold Washington, um, and um, that was the last time that we had a real person of governance uh, in office uh, that that I know of. By the way, Harold Washington would be one hundred years old. Uh, coming April 15, 2022, uh, and we're doing all sorts of commemorative type celebrations uh, about that. We'll talk more about that. Well, uh, let's get in. We might as well get in that. We've already discussed this, uh, Monroe and I have earlier in the show, but uh, I got you here. You raised it. And so I'm feeling kind of nostalgic about Harold Washington, uh, Mark Wallace. Uh, and uh, part of the reason is, as I said earlier, uh, Tim Evans, all 
Judge Evans was a guest of ours at our talk show at the Hideout Bar last night. We mostly were talking about criminal justice issues and judges and parole and uh, bail, that kind of thing. Uh, but then I went down memory lane with him about the role he played by running against Eugene Sawyer uh, in dividing up the black vote, essentially splitting the black community politically and resulting, in my humble opinion, you may disagree with me, uh, in 20 years of daily, 20 years of with going to Paris, seeing a parking meter and then coming back with the idea, I'm going to sell the parking meters or going on a train in China and then coming up with the idea, oh, I'm going to have an express train O'Hare, no matter how much it costs. I'm going to spend all this TIF money to build a station in the below uh, block 37 that we'll never use. Sorry, Mark Wallace. Oh, yeah. Going uh, on a riff. Oh, incidentally, Ben, I, I did a column while I was at the Sun Times when Daly was in China. Um, riding their high-speed trains and being impressed with it. I happened to be at uh, the <laughs> L station on Chicago Avenue. Yeah. And there was this long line. Yeah, I remember line this. For, to get, to, to get, get, get a, a, a coin to put in the thing. And it, it, most of the machines were inoperable because they hadn't collected the money. Yeah. They had so much money in it, they couldn't collect money anymore. It, it, and so, you know, we couldn't even handle the basic stuff. We, we tried to follow He's trying to do high-speed rail. Yeah, yeah. He's doing high-speed rail at, uh, at a premium price for out-of-town businessmen. And by the way, when Rob was mentioned, he did the column for the Sun-Times, Mark Wallace. You start writing columns for the Sun-Times, openly criticizing Mayor Daly, you're not going to be a columnist for the Sun-Times much longer. That is for sure. Well, All right. that, that, that includes radio stations as well. Yes. Yeah. Right. You'll learn that lesson. Uh, I hope not, but you probably have already learned a lesson. My point is this. I uh, had, and I asked Monroe about this already. I'll ask you. It, I, I worry that maybe I'm, um, what's the word? Romanticizing Harold too much. As time goes on, he becomes greater and greater in my mind's eye. Uh, and I do know when he, I, I just was in love with the man when he ran in 1982 and 83. I, I'd never heard a voice like that running for office in Chicago. He had such humor. He was so much fun to talk to. He was so smart. He was so book read. And um, I just thought he was the greatest candidate I had ever seen. And I still have ever seen for mayor. So maybe I'm romanticizing him a little bit. Do you, Mark Wallace, believe that uh, had Evans and Sawyer not split the black vote and had ultimately were able to prevail, one or the other, you know, Mayor Evans or Mayor Sawyer, do you think Chicago would have been as corrupt and as wired uh, as it's been for the last 30 years? Go ahead. Well, to answer your question is no. Uh, It never would have happened. But let me go back, all right, a little bit because... Uh, um, when you say romanticizing Harold Washington, I don't know anybody who romanticized Harold Washington as much as I do. Um, and, um, and I will continue to do that because he is, for me, I can't speak for anybody else. He is and was the best political figure that I have ever seen locally, statewide, or nationally. I have never seen a better political figure, period. Uh, So I'll go back a little bit. 
Now, I was raised in a small town called Richmond Heights, Florida, in Miami, which was an all-black town, and the, the town was built for military black veterans. Um, and my mother and her sister were very, very actively engaged uh, and drug me to every town meeting and all that sort of thing. I came to Chicago in 1985, November 18, 1985. I had never voted before. I'm, I have an education, but I, I don't remember voting be, before. And when I came to Chicago and I was staying at a little motel up on Bryn Mawr Avenue because I had arrived late and didn't have an apartment, so I, I had to stay in this, uh, this hotel uh, until I found an apartment. And every day that I would come home, I'd turn on the news, and here is this courtroom battle between this guy, Harold Washington, and these two uh, Connie Pinkos, uh, Ed Verdoliak, and Ed Burke. And Harold Washington would beat the snuff out of them every time. They were suing him left and right. And I was like, who is this guy? And I would literally come home. It's like coming home to watch a baseball game to see what was the fight of the day. So Harold Washington was the single personality that catapulted me to understanding that it is important to be actively and socially and politically engaged. Um, and I have, as again, I have never seen uh, a political figure like that before him, and I have not seen a political figure like that since him, including Barack Obama. Um, so Tim Evans is the single person that I hold responsible for the conditions that we are in politically to date. If Tim Evans had not split the vote I believe that we would not have the kinds of uh, corrupt, ineffective politics that we have today. Um, I ran into Tim Evans when his office was on um, Randolph. Uh, he was coming down out of the uh, building. And because I kept wondering, why are all these people calling Gene, this guy Gene Sawyer? Uh, they're calling him uh, uh, Uncle Tom and, you know, all these, these, these names. But everything that I had understood about him was that he was the first black alderman to endorse Harold Washington when he first announced. Tim Evans didn't endorse him until after he won the primary. Uh, so... Um, I couldn't understand why people had jumped on this bandwagon and saying this. So I started doing some research myself, trying to figure out, okay, well, who is this guy and why are black people saying this about Gene Sawyer? I ran into Tim Evans as I was going downtown to do a little research, and I asked him, I said, you know, I haven't been in the city that long. I've only been in the city a few years. I said, why are you running against Gene Sawyer and you're joining these people 
and saying that Gene Soria is a sellout, I said, can you point me to an article or any information that I could go to read to learn that this is who this person is? Because I said, for me, I think that we should be supporting him. He's in the seat. You should be supporting him so that we hold on to to uh, the office. You're the you're the chairman of finance. Let's let's hold on to the office. He smiled at me with that stupid grin that he has on his face uh, and says, well, I hope I have your support. And I told him, no, you don't have my support. I'm trying to learn something. So I have not been able to forgive Tim Evans for what he has done uh, and what he has caused. And there's some other he's got some other, you know, cohorts, Dorothy Tillman, Vernon Jarrett and Bobby Rush, you know, uh, and that group. Uh, so that went along with all that nonsense. And, uh, but I've not, he's a single person that I hold responsible for us losing that office and for the degraded conditions of our political situation as it relates in a government today. And I think his payoff was that he became the chief judge, unfortunately. Whoa. Uh, wow. Okay. That's deep, man. I, I should have called last night when I asked him, I called it the Monroe Anderson question. Uh, do you have any regrets about not supporting Sawyer? I should have called it the Mark Wallace question. I never heard you go on that riff before Mark Wallace. I will say this. I'm going to defend Tim Evans on this point. And uh, I will make a gentleman's wager with you or we'll make a wager. One of my famous let's go out for breakfast or lunch wager wagers. Tim Evans did, in fact, endorse Hera Washington before the primary. Uh, it would have been political suicide. I'm not saying Tim Evans loved Hera Washington. I'm saying it would have been political suicide in 1983 for Tim Evans to go into an aldermanic election not having endorsed Hera Washington. And he was running against a certain Tony Preckwinkle for alderman of the Fourth Ward. So he did endorse her. Now, Monroe has already stated that Sawyer endorsed uh, uh, Washington before Evans. I don't know who came in first or second in that race. I'll just put it to you this way. Neither one of those gentlemen, neither one of those gentlemen, Eugene Sawyer, or Tim Evans, were stalwarts of the independent movement at that point in their career. They had a, what do they call that, come to Jesus moment when they saw Harold Washington gaining all that support, Mark, Mark Wallace. I know, and but they, most, most, most of the black political figures probably had that come to Jesus moment. I wasn't here. Mm-hmm. I wasn't here. But looking, looking at uh, what I have been able to witness over the past 36 years, they all have a come to Jesus moment when it's you know, politically comfortable to do so. They don't right. really have a conscience. Right. But I was here, and Sawyer did put his career at risk to vote to go with Harold um, before everybody else did. Um, but after that's that that second debate that with with, with um, Byrne and Daly and Harold uh, where Harold beat the living daylights Mopped out of the, of the floor. And, and the next day, you, you, there was a sea of blue buttons in the <laughs> yes. loop. So Sawyer picked up on that quicker than everybody else and said, okay, I'm going with this guy. Oh, my goodness. Mark Wallace, that was a moment. And now here we are, all three old guys, at least me and Monroe, uh, reminiscing about something that happened in 1983. But Harold Washington stood up at that. It was at, I think it was in a bank. It was in the, the basement uh, auditorium of a bank. I remember being there. I was sitting behind Stroger. 
by chance, I was sitting behind John Stroger, and he was like, he was a daily guy, Mark Wilds. He was shaking his head, like, oh my god. I mean, it was like Ali fighting Jerry Quarry. You know, it, it was a pummeling. And uh, Harold Washington so quick. Uh, I'm running for mayor of the city of Chicago because Jane Byrd is ruining this. And it was his opening line, Mark Wallace. And I'm like, yeah. And, and I was with Harry Gold, and I was the um, journal, the panelist. At the you time. were on that? I did not remember. You know, I wish I could have been here, uh, but but I wasn't here. And I got here, like I said, in 1985, right in the middle of, you know, Council the Council Wars. Wars. And um, but I tell you, it was it was the it was it was the epiphany for me uh, that opened my eyes to to uh, politics and and uh, to advocating for, you know, the so-called underdog. Mm. Right. Um, and Harold Washington was a person I've never met him personally. I only saw him once. He came by my church when he was running for the the second time and I was a member of uh, Union Missionary Baptist Church which is at 940 North Orleans and um, uh, one of the the, the pastor there uh, Marvin Alexander who was, was very you know uh, tied in uh, was a pastor there and uh, they brought Harold Washington there uh, on a campaign stop but I've never personally met him but I, this is a person who you've felt you just felt like you had a friend uh who was there advocating on your behalf and when the man died there's something inside of me that died i lived at 1120 north lasalle when when i had heard that he died i didn't leave my apartment from that day to the last day that they actually had him laying in the rotunda and i went down to pay my respects it was the it was one of the most difficult uh, things for me to have to do. I was, I was saddened, and I've been, I've been hopeful, but saddened ever since that yeah. we have not, um, we've not had a, a, a close resemblance of a of a figure of of governing uh, like a Harold Washington. Well put. Uh, I did not know you were a North Sider in those days. Uh, well, I'm going to bring us up to date. Uh, by talking about uh, the current mayor, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Get your thoughts on this, uh, Mark and Monroe. Uh, mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, gave an interview with the uh, New York Times a week ago. I finally got a chance this weekend to listen to it in its entirety. I wrote a column about it. I wrote a column about uh, one sliver of it. But the part that's relevant uh, to the conversation we're having now, Mark uh, and Monroe, is where Lori Lightfoot positioned herself as... Uh, how do I put this? Uh, it's almost like uh, an upstart underdog who, uh, by virtue of her uh, gender, uh, her race, uh, is always going to be uh, picked on and uh, very much going against the powers that be in this town. And whether she realized it or not, she was sort of uh, reviving much of what was very true for Harold Washington, you know, same kind of rhetoric that was very true for Harold Washington because the powers that be in this town united, did everything they could to like under either sabotage his administration 
uh, or as soon as he had died, make sure that no one any way resembling Harold Washington would ever get elected again. And they were they they were successful for a long time. So I struggle with giving uh, Lori Lightfoot the same benefit of the doubt that I give Harold Washington. She's a corporate lawyer. Uh, totally too. Harold was not a corporate lawyer. Uh, that's putting it mildly. Right. Now, and Harold was known back when he was in the state Senate to be able to argue either side of, of, of a point of an issue very effectively. Yeah. And sometimes um, he would do that. <laughs> he would go from one to the other. You know, this, this is why he was not taken seriously the first time he ran for mayor, because right. they, it was questionable about his motives. In 1977. So my yeah. question is this. Do you think that Lori Lightfoot uh, is challenging the status quo in the city the way Harold Washington did? Do you see evidence that Lori Lightfoot is forcing the powers that be in the city to like redistribute economic development dollars in such a way that uh, help uh, poor neighborhoods even if it means taking those dollars from well-to-do neighborhoods, or do you think it's a matter of Lori Lightfoot very successfully using the rhetoric of a Harold Washington uh, to um, bamboozle a podcaster for the New York Times? I'll ask Mark Wallace, and then Monroe Anderson will weigh in. Go ahead, Mark. Well, um, I see Lori Lightfoot as using the same effective, uh, effectively using the same daily strategy. Uh, that she comes to the black community when it is convenient uh, to uh, give an appearance, though she may be doing something, but there's no substance uh, to that whatsoever. So um, there is no resemblance whatsoever uh, between Lori Lightfoot's administration and Harold Washington's administration or uh, in terms of her uh, taking um, resources from you know wealthier areas and making sure that uh, they're invested in areas that have been economically deprived uh, for a long long periods of time, uh, when when she came campaigned on the south side of Chicago, somebody asked her a question. And nobody drove down on it, uh, but I thought it was very interestingly. They said, when you went to the South Side, did you see a difference between the South Side and the North Side? And her eyes got all bug eyes, and she it was almost as though she had seen a ghost. And her response was, yes, a universe of difference, which tells me that she had never been on the south or west side of Chicago uh, or had never paid attention. Or if she did, this is the only time that it really mattered that she responded this way because she was running for the office. Um, now, so there is no, uh, she doesn't get a pass. I don't think that, um, you know, her gender uh, or her race in this case um, has anything to do with it. Now, she's a short person, and I don't think that that uh, is, is be, you know, a, a color thing. Short people tend to have these 
insecurities to where they sort of overcompensate in terms of, you know, with their so-called bravado or their power or posturing. And I think that, you know, she, she, she demonstrates that insecurity because she talks tough. She has to show people that she's the mayor and she's in, t- in charge. Well, everybody knows you're the mayor. You got elected. Um, so, but you need to be effective. She has not been effective. They roll out these these programs or at least these titles of programs uh, that sound good, right? Like the Southwest Invest. It sounds good, but there's no substance to it uh, because it's not even very well thought out. Uh, So, and now we are, you know, two years into her term and there has been no, nothing of any real substance that she said that she would do to help economically deprived areas and communities. So, you know, to go on the South side and to say they're giving a few million dollars to somebody to build a building uh, and to go on the West side and say that they're giving a few million dollars to this group to build a building uh, is not what is going to help these communities. That's going to help a couple of people, um, but it's good to put on your campaign brochure. Um, you know, if, if you're going to be running for public office again, so there is no way that she can, in any way, contrast her situation with Harold Washington. No way whatsoever. Monroe, your thoughts? Uh, uh, what Mark said. You agree with Mark? <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I agree. You know, the, the thing is, uh, f- first of all, Lori really isn't a black mayor like Carol or Sawyer was. I mean, she she is an uh, LBG, what is the alphabet? Uh, well, she, she, is, she really represents she's them. She's a gay woman who happens to be black. Yeah. She's not yeah. a black gay woman. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So and 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 you have to go back to high school with her, I think. Just a little pop psychology going on here. Um, in high school, she was short, she was black, she was lesbian, and so I'm sure she got picked on a lot. And so that that's her that's 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 in her now that people are picking on her. And so she's very defensive. She's very quick to attack back. Um, and that's who she is, period. It's, so and from her perspective, they're always out to get her psychologically. And she doesn't listen to anybody. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have time to get into this, but I gave her a program, which I talked with you a little bit about, that is a very effective program. And if she had taken that and she had run with that, she could be mayor for 20 years because it would actually do to the south and west sides of Chicago what the south and west sides of Chicago needs and what has uh, the economic deprivation that the south and west side have suffered ever since Ronald Reagan came into office. Um, She would have been able to really substantively turn that around. Then there would have been a real Southwest invest that you could really monetize um, and measure. 
Well, you need, Mark, you need to give an abbreviated um, version of what that was. So, because right now, it, at least to me, it's a secret. Maybe Ben knows. Well, well, what it is, is there was a man by the name of Joe Max Higgins um, and his group called the Golden Link. Mississippi and Columbus, West Point and Octiba, those three counties were basically going bankrupt. They had lost 24 manufacturing companies. Um, their unemployment was at 20%, and they couldn't figure out how to turn it around. Well, in an abbreviated uh, uh, scenario, they went out and got an economic development. They joint ventured the three counties together, and they said to Joe Max Higgins, if you could just bring us a movie theater, something that will ignite some type of uh, movement here, we would have considered your job to be a success. Well, he went out and he brought the movie theater. Unfortunately, nobody could go to the movie theater because nobody had a job uh, to be able to, to afford to go to the movie theater. But what he did was he went out and he got advanced manufacturing companies, a helicopter manufacturing company, and a German truck um, engine building company to come to uh, that part of Mississippi, which was the poorest region, to bring their businesses there in exchange for tax subsidies and a trained workforce. And they got the businesses to partner with uh, the local community colleges and to put the training mechanisms in these colleges while they built up uh, the manufacturers that uh, they would have a workforce. And the agreement was, we'll give you the tax subsidies uh, to build your businesses and bring your businesses here, but you have to hire the people from these communities. Well, he was able to, in 10 years, to bring in more than $6 billion of industry, 6,000 jobs, and everybody is earning between $60,000 and $112,000 a year. Before that, the average four-person family was only earning between twenty-four and thirty-seven thousand dollars a year. Mark, uh, Mark, I come from the uh, the skeptical school of Chicago journalism, where I got to check everything out. You, we had this brief conversation yesterday. I haven't had a chance to check it out, but I'm going to take a look in that uh, and probably bring you back on one way or another to discuss it further. Uh, because it's the first I'd heard of that program when you mentioned it to me yesterday, when we were, whenever it was that we were having our phone conversation. All right, I want to. It was such a successful program mm -hmm. that uh, they have now built their own forty-eight million dollar training facility. In sixty minutes, did a piece on it as as how successful it is, and Harvard studied it. Uh, all right. Uh, so let's shift gears as we close down. I promised that we would have this discussion. Uh, Monroe's going to take his victory lap, Mark Wallace. Uh, we're talking about Ohio, and this is a constant theme on our show uh, or a constant discussion between Monroe and myself that really goes back three years. And <laughs> uh, so I should really let Monroe uh, uh, articulate his worldview on this. But it has to do with uh, black voters and Bernie Sanders type candidates and the Bernie Sanders message uh, and the inability 
and as frustrating as it for me to concede, for a Bernie Sanders message, Bernie Sanders himself, or Bernie Sanders messengers, if you will, to make inroads uh, in, in, in uh, campaigns uh, in the black community. I, it's pretty obvious to me. Uh, I've had this discussion now, Mark Wallace, for four, five years. And Monroe Anderson's been telling me uh, black voters are more conservative than I realize uh, that Bernie Sanders is kind of a weirdo in many ways or different. Let's just put it that way. Vermont. I've heard. And as a result, it's always going to be difficult. And yesterday uh, for a Bernie Sanders type candidate, yesterday, Nina Turner lost in a Democratic uh, primary to uh, Chantel Brown. Uh, for the right to replace uh, Congresswoman Fudge uh, in the Cleveland district. So, Monroe, your thoughts, and then we'll go to Mark. Okay. Um, as, as, as I have pointed out over these past five years with you, is, is that while Bernie has some ideas that I like a lot, his progressive ideas I like a lot, but he was not to be the candidate because he's a he's a, a self-announced socialist. He's a socialist Democrat, but all you need is a socialist part. That the Republicans, had he been the candidate, would have beat him to death with that. Um, so you have to. Right now, what's happened is the party with black folks, Democrats, has broken down to the some Bernie Bros and. Uh, and so, some progressives, super progressives, and Clyburn's people. Clyburn is old school civil rights. I mean, he's back in that era, and that's where black folks, voters are in general. I mean, you, you, you have the firebrands, of course, like, like Nina in the party, but black folks are relatively they're still going to church on Sundays uh, they're pretty conservative but what's what binds us and makes us quote progressive is racism we all agree that we don't like racism and we don't like racists and so we come together on that all the time but uh, but as far as as hardcore progressive, values a, a lot of black folks aren't there mark um well you know i i tend to deal with things and in my opinion um i have never had a drink of liquor in my life but i tend to pour uh, my opinions out with no mixers in them or no chasers so uh let me give it to you and what the raw what i really think this is because all these labels, progressives, conservatives, liberal, you know, Democrat, Republicans, I think they're all distractions. Um, but Bernie Sanders talks about everything that black people need, right? He talks about in terms of policies. The problem is, and this is not talked about overtly, but it's talked about all the time, uh, covertly, is that Bernie Sanders is a Jew. And black people, um, that has been used as a weapon uh, to discredit 
Bernie Sanders being either a candidate or being the spokesperson for other candidates. Uh, it, it, you know, there is this old, uh, ignorant, misinformed, dirty Jew syndrome that is fed to black people covertly. They'll never say it publicly, but that is what is fueled in a lot of black areas uh, in terms of um, politics, in terms of, of voting. It's not so much the substance of, of the policies because, you know, a lot of what he talks about, black people need. Uh, and he's right on point. And he's saying he's saying it more than uh, some black representatives are saying it or articulating it better. But the fact is, and I believe because I, I hear this same nonsense and I get into arguments with people all the time uh, about it. It's that they say, well, you know, Bernie Sanders, you know, he's a Jew. And I say, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? I, you know, I said, you know, you think that the, the white Irish Catholics have treated you any better? Uh, so, or are going to treat you any better? So for me, that is where I believe the real uh, plank is, is that he's a Jew. Uh, okay, well, here's the that we have to, because I'm, I'm a little bit older than Mark, so um, I've, this is my theory, just from what I've watched in my lifetime, is that there was a coalition during the early civil rights movement between Jews and blacks that worked very well and uh, was accepted throughout the black community. If you remember, uh, one of the, uh, a Jewish person was killed uh, when, when the Klan killed those three, uh, yes. Cheney and- Cheney, right. And, and Schwerner and Cheney. Yeah, right, exactly. But during the black power movement, when there was a shift from the civil rights movement, to the black power movement, um, there were Jews who were invested in the civil rights movement who argued that it was um, time to, uh, that Jews were too paternalistic, et cetera, et cetera. And that's when the problem started developing in the community. And I don't think it's um, fully recovered from that. Well, let me just throw this in. Uh, Google Meet is telling us we have five minutes to yeah, go. Right. Google Meet uh, runs my show, uh, Mark Wallace and Monroe Anderson. Yeah, right. uh, but let me just say this, uh, Mark, I had never heard that theory before. I'm going to let that percolate in my brain. I'm dubious about it. I do not doubt for one minute that you've had conversations like that. I've had so many conversations, anti-Jewish conversations, not even conversations, people blathering at bars and such when they've had a few to drink. Uh, so I know there's a lot of anti-Jewish feelings out there. I wrote about this in the reader, but I'll put it to you this way. In 2015, Rahm Emanuel ran against Jesus Garcia. And I had so many black people all of a sudden on the Rahm bus, cause they didn't like Chewy telling me my father got, uh, used to buy on credit at a store on, you name the address on the South side of Chicago. And it was a Jewish guy. And there's always been this, unity between Jews and I'm voting for Ron for that. I heard Conrad Worrell told me that. 
And so I'm a little skeptical about it. I've never seen any evidence in Chicago. Larry Bloom was the alderman of the Fifth Ward year after year, and Harold endorsed him, and black people voted for Larry Bloom. Leon Dupre, Jewish man, was the alderman of the Fifth Ward. Uh, probably the most outspoken civil rights activist in the city uh, council in the 60s. So I've not seen any evidence of that. But, you know, uh, there's a lot of anti-Jewish sentiment in this country, Mark Wallace. And yeah, there's, a lot, of, there's a lot of that ignorantly, right, uh, of, of being anti-Jewish you know, or anti-black. I mean, there's a lot of ignorance out there. Um, but, and, and yes, uh, there black people... Um, uh, in many accounts, even with my own personal life, uh, that I have, my life has been helped tremendously by my relationships with Jewish people from Miami to Chicago. Uh, so, um, and I don't make any, any bones about that, but there is this undercurrent uh, out there uh, that people like, listen, when Rahm Emanuel first ran, I took a lot of heat in supporting Rahm Emanuel, not because, you know, I like Rahm Emanuel is because I didn't like any of the other candidates. Um, and, 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 uh, and the fact that I thought that the legal argument that they were saying, uh, I believe that Rahm Emanuel on the legal basis was right. Uh, but I regret that support today. Yeah, well, I'm glad you do because that was a, uh, a bad move on your part. But we, you know what? We'll hold off on the conversation on redoing the 2011 mayoral election for another time. Uh, Mark Wallace, thank you so much. Monroe told me uh, that you tell it like it is or you're not going to duck and dodge. And uh, he was absolutely correct. And, of course, Monroe Anderson is uh, on the show every Wednesday talking national politics. I want to thank both of you for joining us. Uh, also want to thank uh, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy at Alton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. Uh, and as Mark and Monroe will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everyone. I've shaved with a normal razor.